Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're wanting to take your program to the next level, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With weekly updated videos from some of the top baseball and softball coaches in the country, Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Ryan Dupic, head baseball coach at Concordia University. Ryan was named Concordia University head baseball coach prior to the 2015 season, and he just completed his seventh season as the head coach in 2021. Ryan has made an immediate positive impact, leading the program to its winningest seven-year stretch in program history. The 2021 season continued the upward trajectory of the program as the Bulldogs advanced to the NAIA World Series for the first time ever. Not only that, they broke the school single season records for wins, home runs, runs scored, hits, and pitcher strikeouts. As part of the greatest season in program history, Dupic's squad won the Bellevue bracket of the NAIA National Championship opening round and swept the GPAC regular season and postseason championships. Prior to Dupic's arrival in Seward, the program had not produced a winning season since 1979, and Concordia's most recent conference baseball title had come in 1986. Under Dupic, the Bulldogs reset the school's single season wins record three years in a row, 2015 through 2017, and again in 2021. So on the show, we spend a bulk of our time on how to change culture and behavior but we also go over increasing leadership opportunities for players and coaching staff alignment. Here's my conversation with Ryan Dupic. Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Absolutely. And so I was <laughs> I was telling you whenever I was trying to get, you know, you on the podcast, you you asked, "Hey, do you mind telling me who recommended uh, me and and so I had to think about it and I said well basically all of Twitter after you guys made the World Series and and so I'm I'm really excited because I you know we've gotten a chance to to chat a little bit over the last couple of weeks but uh, just seeing the the amount of people who were just so gracious towards your program and so complimentary of you I I thought that that was you were a no brainer for the show and so and and getting to hear you listen that was that was absolutely uh, that was you know a humbling experience for sure. But let's go back to uh, whenever you first started. So you go through the interview process. You say yes. You sign on the dotted line. Then what? So what did like? What did your vision look like? What were your first actionable steps? And just kind of walk us through uh, the before the first meeting through the maybe the first couple of months of when you started. Yeah. First off, I just want to say I think it bears repeating. I mentioned to you before. You know, thanks for all you do. Um, have been listening to the podcast for a long time and um, had some tremendous people on. And it's a great avenue for coaches to learn. And so I, I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, kind of taking myself back to that, you know, um, I came and take a look at the at the campus and facility. Um, felt like, you know, the other programs were doing really well at that time. And, um, you know, just felt like it was something that was a place that could be could be built on. Um, you know, for me, when I got the job initially, the program had had 35 losing seasons in a row. So it was um, 
you know, program that, that uh, needed a, a little bit of work at that time. Um, and I think for me, uh, you know, I was just really thinking specifically about vision and what did we want to establish was really thinking about that first year, the two of, you know, uh, we, we, we obviously want to be successful and we want to win. We want to do as well as we can. But um, I knew that I wanted to be here longer than a year or two. So we wanted to try to do this right and build something that was sustainable long term. And so that was really the focus I had on that was just clarity on expectations, um, trying to get more specific about the type of behaviors we were looking for, um, you know, implementing a culture. We're trying to create some common language around what we wanted to do, get to know the players um, I really feel like, you know, building a culture is, is just about building relationships with guys, understanding who they are and trying to get guys on the same page and being in alignment together. So, um, you know, it, it was definitely a challenge initially. Uh, we had to kind of flip some things a little bit. Um, we were fortunate to have some success and at least more success than, than had been had previously. But, um, you know, I, as I look back now, I, I think uh, we're, we were pretty blessed just because, um you know, there, there were some, some challenges during those first couple of years, but those turned into tremendous opportunities as we went along. Uh, but yeah, for, for me initially, it was really all just about getting to know the people, getting to know the place um, and trying to create some clarity around, hey, this is what we really want to be. This is what we're going to kind of strive for here um, in, in terms of our program. And it was really building around just being the best we could be in multiple facets, being about a team um, and, and kind of building some foundations on that. No, I love hearing that. And if you don't mind, uh, you know, I, I think, and this is something that you hear with a lot of a lot of press confer- conferences whenever guys get hired. It's like, we want to do things right. We want to do things right here. And I would love to know what that looks like. Because you talk about, you know, the vi- you want to sell the vision of the program. What was it? But also, what are some different practical examples or steps that you either learned along the way or were, or something that you implemented that you really thought was, you know, Hey, if if I had to do it all over again, this is exactly what I would do. Yeah. I think, um, so first up, I would say I was blessed. I came from a program at, at Buena Vista. It's a division three school in Northwest Iowa. Um, I, I finished up my career there and then became a coach right away and, uh, worked for, for a really good head coach, Steve Edie, who gave me an opportunity to be part of that program. And, the program at that time, you know, my last year, I think we were like 18 and 16. That was one of, I think, the second winning season the program had had in like 26 years. So we kind of had a chance to work together and try to establish something as a foundation at that program. So I felt like I had a little bit of experience in being part of that. Obviously, I hadn't been in the position of head coach. Um, I think, you know, in hindsight, as I look back at it now, when I transitioned to Concordia, um, I, I came up with, you know, at, at first, it's really your vision, honestly. Um you know, you want the players to have ownership and buy into it. In my experience, the, the longer I was at Buena Vista as an assistant coach, you know, you started to see the players really, really believe in it and start to police themselves, start to have stronger convictions within it. And and it feels like the program starts to almost run itself, if you will. It never runs itself perfectly, I think, as we all can understand, but, but you start to see much more buy-in, but that takes a lot of time. So I think the biggest challenges initially were, and I felt like this is what we want to do. We talked a lot about having a championship expectation in various areas, whether that was the classroom, social decisions, um, what we're doing on the playing field. Um, a big challenge we had back then were, I think, self-awareness. I think when, when you come a part of a program that maybe had had some losing seasons in the past, um, everybody wants to win. Of course they want to win, but maybe they don't necessarily understand how to do that. So for me at that time, trying to create, I guess, um, 
get a lot of input and feedback from them. God bless them. They were good kids, but they just didn't really know. They hadn't been a part of it before. So it was a ton of education and then trying to build relationships to get them to buy into what you were establishing. I think the guys felt like they knew that, hey, this is building. But um, it really came down to I'm really fascinated by human behavior. That's something I'm really kind of interested in is like you see some guys start to, you know, get that and it starts to click for them. And they start to make sacrifices for the good of the team and themselves. And they think more long term. And, you know, some guys don't. And I think that's what the big challenge for us was initially. Um, as I look back now, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I have no problem thinking about the challenges we had and maybe some of the uh, things I did, I, I wish I would have done differently. I liked that we tried to create some common language. We talked about being the best version of ourselves. We talked about, um, you know, living up to a high standard and things of that nature. We came up with words and phrases and slogans and things of that nature. Um, some of that was good, but at times I probably pushed that too much. I think over time I learned simplification was key. Um, and, and to the point now where we have just two things, we talk about family and continuous improvement in our program. We try to create as much simplicity around that as is possible. Um, I think, uh, you know, you hear so many programs talk about family, but for me in hindsight, what, what I look for is behaviors. I think that was what we really tried to attack is what do we see happening? We tried to help players see gaps between this is what you say, this is the behavior we see. Do you see a gap between this? And I think even today, I mean, we're seven years in, we had a terrific season. We're still fighting that battle. It never ends. Um, but I think we're just probably very intentional about it. So, you know, looking back, we, we tried to use as many different modes as we could. We tried to show videos, examples of what we're doing. Of course, we're trying to point things out when it goes well. We're trying to confront behavior when it doesn't go the way we want it to. Um, I would say, you know, when you look at it systemically and I look back at that, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not great at uh, creating and fostering these really uh, big team building things. I think I'm a little bit more organic in nature. So for me, it's more individual conversations as you go. Um, trying to just create a team dynamic, talking to the team, talking in groups. We had um, my coaches will, or my players will joke at me. We had a thousand meetings back then. We met all the time because it just felt like we were constantly having to educate people on a consistent basis. If I had to do it over again, I'd probably do the same thing, but we certainly don't meet that much now. Uh, it's just not as necessary. So I think that's what we've really found is you, you see the adjustment as you go. I think initially year one, year two, it was a lot. This is what I want it to be. And then it started to be, you know, year two, it started to be, this is what myself and our coaching staff want it to be. And then year three, it was like, hey, this is what we all want it to be. You could just kind of start to see that unfold as you go. And I think it just takes a lot of patience and a lot of time. Oof. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. And okay. really, I, I, <laughs> I'm really excited to get to, uh, I, I love human behavior too, just because it's, I read somewhere a couple of days ago that it was sports is simple, but human behavior is complex or humans yeah. are complex, either one. But it's just, man, I, I wish that there was a textbook that could say, you know, you do X, Y, Z with with all humans and it, and it would work. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So was there a, was there a time that you're going through this process that was was there just maybe an example of one or maybe a kid or two that you're just the, cause I can always think back to kids that I just, I'm like, man, I messed that up or I just could not figure out really what, how to change the behavior that we wanted to see. And so was, can you think of any example and obviously leave the, the player's name out, but 
just a, an example of, of something that you're, that you either were successful with or not. Yeah, I, I do. Um, but by the way, that's one of my favorite quotes, sports, simple people are complicated. I think that's Harvey Dorfman. Um, um, oh, it's really, uh, really it's good. But, um, but yeah, um, yeah, I think about multiple offhand. Um, I think about one young man, he actually lives in Lincoln right now and I, I got the job and, and, um, and I remember uh, hearing about this kid, and he was a pretty good, pretty good pitcher on the team. But um, he had struggled his freshman year. I can tell you this this story because I love this kid so much. I don't know exactly who it is, but um, and we have a great relationship now. But um, at the time, I remember somebody had said to me, "Hey, he may not come back next year." And I was like, "Okay, well, let me give him a call." And I gave him a call, and he asked me, um, "You know, hey, well, we really struggled, you know, to get runs in the starts that I had last year. So, are you bringing in any hitters?" And I said, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously going to work on that. You know, I've had the job for about three days. So, you know, no, we haven't brought anybody in yet. Um, but, you know, we're all going to try to get better. We're going to work on this together, et cetera. Called him a couple of days later and he said, uh, you know, we really struggled to make plays defensively, you know, when I was pitching. Do we have any fielders coming in? And I kind of said, hey, look, brother, I, you seem like a good kid, but, you know, your ERA was like eight last year or something like that. Um, you gave up about 40 hits in about 20 innings. So, we all got a lot of work to do, you know. Um, I don't. I don't think we didn't have any one problem. And looking back on that, I, I think that's more of what it looked like. Instead of, yeah, we created this system where you know we had everybody do this and say this, and then everybody. I, I just don't. I mean, maybe that can work, but that's really not probably my strength area. It's more having good conversations with kids, being honest with guys, helping them see what they're good at, helping them see what they bring to the table. Um, I think when I look back, the thing I'm probably most grateful for is we were consistent in the way we handled guys. Um, you know, um, we had to, to, we didn't, I'm not somebody that comes in like, I'm going to get rid of these guys and stuff like that. That's not really my nature. Um, but we did have to dismiss, you know, two guys from our program. One was the best hitter on the team and one was the best pitchers on the, on the team. Um, and, and the pitcher I talk to this day all the time, I mean, he just texted me, you know, a couple of weeks ago about when we, when we made the world series and stuff like that. So, you know, um, I think that was clear because guys saw, okay, I guess he kind of means this, you know, regardless of who we are as a player, like we're going to get this people thing right. Um, a lot of the players now talk to, uh, from the past, talk to me about really pushing them. Like, why are you here? Why do you do this? Why do you play baseball? Let's dig deeper, try to understand what's your motivation behind this. Um, and so anyways, I, I think we had a lot of situations where guys, um, we, we had to dive into that a little bit and help them see the gap between what they were doing and, and what they wanted to do. Um, but I think, you know, there are certainly situations where, where, you know, I probably could have handled things better at times. I think there was tons where it went really well, but um, yeah, I think human behavior is fascinating. It's something I'm, you know, I've really gotten into specifically within that last couple of years. And I have a little bit of a counseling background got my master's in school counseling. So that's always something that's been pretty intriguing to me. And, that's probably why, you know, as coaches, we all try to live in our wheelhouse a little bit. And so that's something, what, uh, I guess, a reason why we've, we've dived into that so much. Oh, I really like that a lot. And, you know, before we, we start digging into uh, just just the, the more of the baseball, I guess this is the baseball side, but uh, like the, 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 the team stuff. But I want to know, so this is, this is a theory that I have. I've, I've not been a head coach, but it's something that I'm starting to try and develop ideas uh, to you know be forthcoming with that whenever if that time comes and just trying to put out fires whenever I see them as an assistant and so I I 
when I was growing up, there was, we had rules and whenever you broke these rules, then you ran and you didn't like running and then you changed your behavior based on this. And now I, I, I started to see just the same, and this is in the, in the school setting too, uh, of the same kids that are going to detention or the same kids that are doing the same things over and over. And there's really nothing that changes. So they, you know, in a school setting, it's you get detention or you get suspended and then you just you go home and you go to that and then you come back and then you do the same thing again. Yep. And it really it never does change behavior. So for some kids, it does. Uh, but for, for some kids, it, it doesn't. And so I would love to hear, especially with your counseling background of how do we get to the heart of the kid? Yeah. And I, I think you, that you mentioned it with whenever you said that you are trying to find what motivates them. What's their why? Their why are they here? But. I want to, do you kind of have an out of the box approach to upholding standards? Because again, when I was growing up, it was, if we don't get it through your head, we'll get it through your legs, which just meant we were running a ton and I hated it, but there were some, you know, there were some players that it never really got to. So I, uh, can you unpack that, that just, I yeah. uh, basically just, just, you know, well, vomited a lot of words on you. So just no, <laughs> by all means, that, that's great. The first thing I would say is, um, you know, if I had one specific answer for that, I, I, I'd be a liar if I said I had one specific answer for that. I, I do think it's, um, I think problem solving is re- is is off is not often linear. I think there's there's multiple variables that goes into this. Um, I think you know, every now and again, it's probably okay to do something physical, but to your point, uh, to just kind of hit on that and that be the only thing is is probably not going to work work real well. I'm honestly not something we probably go too much. Um, Reading uh, uh, the Urban Meyer book, Above the Line, you know, I think about the quote, don't get furious, get curious. I mean, there has to be a reason. Why is this guy doing this? I think that's, that's so really good. what what makes me is like, what can I unpeel to understand? You know, I was that guy first. It's like, I just get mad and say, hey, just do this or you're gone or whatever. But at some point, I have to understand why is this guy doing this? And and um, I think at, I, I know it's an unbelievably simple answer, but simplicity, I think, is key. I think question asking, we have to put people in positions where one thing that I'm really proud of in our program, and this speaks to the upperclassmen in our program, do a tremendous job of they create great safety in our program. We talk about when guys come in, we want you to be yourselves. We're not asking you to be somebody else. As you do that and be yourselves, here's a couple of things we're going to ask you to do. But um, these are things we really want to stand for. And I think the older I've become as a coach, quite frankly, the less that I, I have like uh, you need to be like this and do this and do that. I want you to be yourself. We want you to, to be free, to, to be who you are. Um, I think that's the only way guys can feel comfortable enough and safe enough to, to bring out the best in themselves. I think it's less, we're going to pile a bunch of stuff on top of you and create this. It's more, how can I get to know you and bring the best of you out? So um, for me, when those problems arise, I think it's more of um, you know trying to get the guy in a setting and environment you know, obviously sometimes it can happen in your office, but sometimes it's best outside of your office because then it's not like you're the teacher that you're bringing them to the principal, if you will. But um, to have those conversations, to seek to understand, you know, I remember having a conversation with a young man in our program who's a, who's a tremendous player right now. Um, and he, and, and uh, he was really kind of kind of closed off when he came into our program. Um, I, I felt like he was a great kid, but, you know, he wasn't really quick to allow people in, if you will. And so I remember having a conversation with him in the outfield about it and just asking him a ton of questions and asking him about his past and seeking old coaches and what have you learned about this? And, um, and just kind of pointing out, I think eventually if we're patient enough and we ask enough questions, we can get them to say something to us that kind of flips the trigger. We seek first to understand. Not, um, 
uh, and then and not to be understood. We really want to understand them as a person first. But I remember a point where where it was like, you know, I said to him, hey, um, it's okay for you to share some of that stuff. You're struggling with me. And he said, I don't I don't do that. You know, and that was kind of that wall of that point where he was like, hey, I'm not I'm not that guy. And, and I remember going, OK, yeah, that's cool. No, no big deal. But just so you know, you can like you'll learn that eventually. You, you don't know it yet because you've been here a couple months. I totally get it. You don't have to share that with me now, but you'll learn eventually that it's actually OK to share that stuff with me. But it's no big deal. You don't need to right now. Um, and so I, th I think you just have to get to those points in conversation sometimes. And I think that's how culture is built when you start to see some trust established. Um, and then you can be pretty real with guys once you get to that point. Uh, but you know, until, until you get there, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. So, um, I guess that's, that's probably my mode a little bit more is, uh, who do these guys trust best within our coaching staff? Who's best to have those conversations. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's other members of our coaching staff. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is like, you know, I, maybe there's a physical side to it. Maybe sometimes it's as simple as our guys know, like, Hey, if you're not going to class, you're not going to get to not only play, but you don't get to practice, you know, take away things that they enjoy. We, we do all of that stuff, but I guess I don't feel like we do one specific thing. I'd rather just kind of, kind of best understand the guy as we go and, and, and see what fits best to that individual person. No, that's wonderful. And I've got a couple of, of questions for you uh, in regards to how to do that practically. Uh, and for me to add that to, I always, I'm trying to find time within practice to be able to, to pick guys out. And, uh, I work with a guy who's like, who, who picks out five guys, uh, every week to make sure he hits on those guys, like just check in because I, you know, we, we coach a position group or we're coaching no hitters and I never talk to the pitchers and, and we, so we try and find five that we haven't talked to in a while or, and he does a rotating list, which I think is great. But I always try, I always stay after and pick up baseballs. I always try and go out whenever they are playing catch. And then BP in the outfield, if, I'm, if I don't have something that's defined, like you just said, that that's a time that maybe we can pull one of those guys aside that, that you see something uh, or you notice you know, bad body language or they're not themselves today. And those are just times within that it's, it's a little less, it's a little less, hey, come to my office and mm -hmm. a little less stressful, I guess. Uh, do you have anything in regards to, to things like that like, or any, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I, I would just say you're, it's less invasive. You're 100% right. I mean, it doesn't feel like they're in trouble that way. Um, I, I honest, honestly am doing the same things you are. BP is a big time. When guys are shagging, it's a big time. When they're transitioning from one thing to another, maybe they just get done with this and they have a break before they go to defense. Um, weight room has been a good one for me too uh, just because – I'm not in charge of that setting. You know, we have a strength and conditioning coach. So um, it's like when I'm in there, I'm there to help. And, and they know I'm still want to help and, and, and encourage them and stuff like that. But like, it's kind of like it's not my room, which which I kind of prefer. Um, I think anytime you're in the head coach position, when you walk into somewhere, they kind of feel like you're in charge, um, right. which I, I get. And, 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 that's, and that's fine. But, um, you know, uh, I, honestly, hitting is, is that way for me because I'm a pitching guy, so I work with pitchers. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Same concept for me. When I show up every day, my mind's on the pitchers, trying to help them get better. Um, but when I go to hitting practice, and we have a great hitting coach, so for me it's more like how can I maybe just kind of see what they're doing and connect with them and understand some things as they go. Um, you know, so hitting can be that way for me. Even defense can be that way for me sometimes. So I think um, finding positions where, like, it's not like I'm, I'm in this power dynamic, if you will. I know that's always still a little bit present, but then when I'm not in charge, I think that really helps, especially. 
Oh, that's great. And I love, I love hearing that from a head coach too, just because I know I have, I'm again, not head coach, but I am always trying to look for opportunities to let others take the lead because I, I yeah. feel like I have been really bad about trying to do everything and I'm not even in charge, but it's just like, I, so like taking a step back and, and really reading the room while someone else is, is yeah, doing we all have, things. Yep, really. we're all coaches. That's what we do. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So another thing that, that you mentioned that you, that you try to, and, and, and put it something that's critical in your program is increasing leadership opportunities. And I, I just, I want to hear more about that. How are you guys doing that? Yeah. The first thing I say is, uh, grace of God, that kind of happened organically, you know, was, um, you know, so like I mentioned before, the first two years, I probably didn't, uh, really incorporate a tremendous amount of, um, you know, input from the players. I, I did at times and, but, but, you know, it was more like, Hey, we were really trying to establish this. And, um, a big change for our program was uh, from the transition from 2016 year to the 2017 year was, First up, we had a, had an assistant coach, uh, Bryce Berg, who, who now works in the Twins organization, um, who became our uh, a full time assistant. He transitioned from GA to full time assistant, and um, and that allowed us to go. Okay, like what he and I was like, what, what do we want this to be? What do we want this to look like? But we really understood at that point we're going to need to get some player input. Like these guys have been here for a couple of years. We need them to take shape of this and take hold of this a little bit better. We had some meetings at the beginning of the year. I was actually a player in our program who at that time uh, said, like, I, I want our program to be a family. We want to be connected. We want to have close, tight relationships and be there for one another. Um, it's it's fine for me to say I want us to be a family. When the player set up, that just that really grasped on. Um, uh, I think in, in the um, it was December of 2016, I got uh, tongue cancer. So, you know, the, the whole spring of, of 17, I was really kind of doing radiation you know, uh, kind of fighting for obviously physical challenges there and making sure, I guess I stay alive to be honest. And so, um, at that time we have Bryce Berg, who I think was like 24, um, who had just went from being a GA to an assistant coach was pretty much the acting head coach. Um, you know, we had no GA on campus. I think at that point, uh, I remember our pitching coach, we transitioned, had a conversation with one of the players in our program, a tremendous young man named Devin Bettman, who I said, look, man, like you might pitch for us. You might not, but you're an unbelievable kid and everybody respects you. You should be our pitching coach now. He's a senior in college, but but we said, you, you should do this. He did it. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're essentially showing up to practice some days. Um, our, our guys are practicing. I might be wheelchaired in there at times. I couldn't even talk because I had stuff going on up here. I might go check out a bullpen or two, but that was it. I mean, I really was not involved in. So I think if you really want to be challenged as a leader, you think about what's going on in your program when you're not around. How is that thing going to get going? So when we talked about that as a team before I had surgery. I told our guys, like, look, if, if we're going to do this um, and you guys are going to take hold of this, it's going to have to be now or it's never going to happen because this ain't going to go well if you guys don't take, start to take some responsibility for this stuff. And they and they ran with it. That team wanted to be the first team to really break through, and they were. They won the league for the first time in I think 31 years at our school. Went to the national tournament, won the uh, national tournament game for the first time in school history. That was really the team that broke through for us and first established that we have a chance to do this. But um, so I think that really happened organically first. Um, and then in 18, we, we we had a decent year, but not a great year, and we really saw a difference in leadership. You know, we had lost some of those guys from the 17 team, so. I felt like I needed to do a much better job of that. I really got into trying to understand motivation at that time. Got into some uh, work by a, a lady named Susan Fowler. Started to talk to her a little bit. 
she talked about concepts like choice, connection, and competence in some of her books and understanding do players feel like uh, they have a sense of, of, of control? Are they in control of their lives? Do they feel like they're just kind of a pawn uh, with other people? Do they feel connected to you as a person? Do they feel connected to the team's purpose? Do they feel like they're gaining success? Com that's the confidence piece. Are they starting to improve? And we started to find that the more those three needs are met, guys were more motivated. And when they're not, there's a gap there. And you really have to attack that gap. For me personally, I started to find some guys maybe had more value in some than others. Some guys were more like, hey, I just want to get better. Like, if you make me better, we're, we're going to be good to go. Other guys, like, they want you to care about them. They want to feel that within them. Some guys have this strong sense of control where they want to have a say in what they're doing. Some guys, you can say, hey, go do this. And they're like, no, no problem. I'll run through a wall for you. But other guys were like, I, I want to have a say in what I'm doing. So I think under, starting to understand that changed the scope for me. And, and while we were doing that and coinciding with that, back to the leadership piece, we started to do some book study stuff. So we started a legacy book study about the All Blacks, I know, which is, has been you know, mentioned in your podcast multiple times. We had some senior leaders in our group who, who we would read a chapter, we'd meet. Uh, that was tremendous for us. I started to hear their voices more, understand what they were looking for more. You could see them start to take shape of this and really want to cement this within our program and have a strong legacy that carried on for years to come. Um, uh, and so the 19 team did that and had another great season, won the conference, went to the national tournament. And I remember they were so embedded with them. We even had guys who, when the season was over, seniors leaving the program going, hey, coach, here's some things we think you might want to be aware of for next year, you know, as we keep thinking about having leaders and, and making this program be the way we want it to be. So um, that was a big deal. And we've since added, uh, we, we read the culture code with a few juniors and a couple sophomores this year for the first time. And Every year that we've done that, you know, some years it's been more successful than others. Some years it's been huge for us. Some years it's like, I wish we really got more out of that. But it's still always been very impactful because you hear some of the problems that come up during that time. Um, guys start to, to get real about these are the challenges we have. How do we combat that? And I think the, <clears throat> for me, honestly, I just had to learn to be more patient, to ask more questions, to try to let players handle some of these issues that come up and not you know, feel like I need to jump in so quickly, even to the point of failure. Sometimes that's something I've really had to learn as a coach is like, you know, I'm kind of a, I think Bobby Cox said, don't let, you know, don't sweep unpleasant things under the rug. So I'm kind of a guy that like jumps in. I, I don't, I want stuff to be right. I want to be in alignment. That's always the way I've been. Um, and I still feel like we do that, but at the same time, maybe it doesn't need to be me to be the one to do that. Maybe I just need to mentor or guide somebody or ask questions or help them see this perspective and then let them dive into that problem and, and know that, hey, sometimes that may not go well, whether it's practice, whether it's a situation, whether it's a conversation between two guys to know there could be some tension there, but that's okay. I don't need to come in and, and, and rescue that. Maybe we need to live with that tension a bit and learn how to handle that as we go. And maybe in the short term, that's a problem, but over time, we're going to start to create some guys who have some buy-in and feel the freedom to jump in when stuff goes wrong, which I think is really, really important. Well, I'm just sitting here shaking my head back and forth just because that's 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 unbelievable. I, I mean, taking teenage kids and early 20s kids and then they're leaving your program with giving you feedback on how to make it better. And you obviously, yeah. you being humble enough to be like, like hell yeah, like, please do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. That's awesome. And, and that's a testament to them to be, I mean, like the kid who did that, I mean, I just hired him to be my GA next year. Right. I mean, so, you know, like, <laughs> I would like, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's a testament to them. I mean, I, I think, um, 
by all means, I hope that I'm helping in that process, but I wouldn't kid you for two seconds. That, that's them and getting really, really strong upon their hearts and them saying, we're going we're gonna to go do this thing. This is what we want this to be and, and really cement the future of our program like that. I love it. Well, and you, you've mentioned alignment a couple of times and, uh, you know, I, I work at, or I, I was with the Rangers, which is a, a thousand different people. Yep. And now I'm at a, a 6A program and I've been at a, a couple of different ones, which is it, we have, you know, 10 coaches or so with three different teams. And even, you know, that, that gets crazy. And even coaches with two different teams, it's like, how do we, how do we have alignment from the top down? And I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, on how to be able to do that with, you know, you, you guys are one team, but still it, it matters even more because you got, you know, you, you are so, you have to be well-defined with the players that you yeah. have and consistent. You've mentioned the, the, the word consistent every single day. And if you're not aligned, you're not going to be consistent. And so how, how do we create that if, if we're looking to do something similar? Yeah. So that it's an awesome point. And I think a big, a big challenge. Um, I think it starts with your coaching staff. I've never had a great season without our coaching staff feeling like we're in alignment and we're on the same page with things. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, again, the first couple of years that was like creating, trem- trying to create tremendous clarity around it. I remember my first couple of years, I'd actually create like word documents and have like outlines of these are your specific responsibilities. This is specifically what we're going to do. This is what we stand for. I'd hand it out to our assistant coaches. We try to make sure because I just want everybody to be totally clear about when we're showing up to work, what we're doing. Here's the direction we're going. Um, again, I had you know tons of meetings with them, PowerPoint discussions, um, things of like this is what we want to be. Uh, again, probably overdid it a ton, you know, at times, like way too much at times. But I, I guess I don't totally regret that because I felt like that was something we needed to establish initially. Once you started to see some fruit from that labor and you started to see the program start to, to create some success, then we were just really blessed that we were able to start to add on people who already experienced it. We had graduate assistant coaches like Jake Adams and Casey Hall and guys who'd already been a part of this before um, who had come back. And so they were literally choosing to work on your staff because they had enjoyed that experience on their end. And they wanted to stand for that. And that's what I really learned over time. We've, we've since added to that. We got, you know, like a, a Wade Council. So we've done some guys that, you know, were part of the program, like Jake Adams and Casey Hall and Wade Council and great guys. And we've added in people from the outside who we know live up to those, those ideals, like like Jonas Levin, who's been a GA, and, and, and then Caleb Lang, who's our hitting coach right now, who is not a good coach. He's a great coach. I mean, does a tremendous job. But we're able to start to sort of unpack, like, when I'm – talking to coaches it's it's more like you know to be honest when when our hitting coach job opened up we had so many applicants and i guess you know for me it was like yeah knowing what you know about hitting is 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 fine but i really just want to know like who you are because i feel like if we can be aligned and you see see the world a certain way you want to learn you want to grow you're humble you want to get better you're competitive you know the rest will kind of take care of itself like we'll figure it out to me um you know, what you teach around that is like, well, if you're humble and you're open, and you want to learn, that's no problem. We'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're set in your ways, if you're arrogant about it, if you, you don't want to have conversations, you don't want to keep growing, keep learning. You know, for me, the, um, I've been really strongly influenced with, with, from Ron Wolforth in the Texas Baseball Ranch. And I think they say down there, like, the only day that uh, I can't remember the phrase, but the gist of it is nothing's going to stay the same. We're constantly going to be evolving. We're constantly going to be growing. And, um, 
that's really how I feel about our program. We had a really good season and I've got like tons of stuff. I feel like we got to get better at, you know, it's just constantly the way it's going to be. So when you can get coaches who I think are on the same page with that, and then you can trust them to instill that with their guys. I think that's so important. Um, so we really started with that with alignment within the coaching staff. And then I felt like um, when I did the book study stuff, I, I admittedly, you know, uh, being a competitive person, we're all competitive. We want to win. You know, it was really about that. We want to create some leadership around here's the behaviors we want. Here's what we want to do. We want to help guys grow as people and we want to help them grow and be better on the field. Um, so it was really multifaceted. We wanted guys to be able to to feel like we're impacting them within their lives and they're being of service to other people and they have the ability to be, you know, eventually good husbands and fathers, be good at their work, but but also be able to impact some of the behaviors on the field, solve some problems together, figure it out as a group. Um, but I think one of the other things that really created that is it created this tremendous forum for me to be really transparent with them about some of the things we were going through. And the more trust I built with our players over time, it's, it's, it's so fun because it's allowed me to be like, totally transparent to say, Hey, we're going to do this and I'm not sure about it, but this is what we're going to roll with. Or, you know what? Um, we got to do this in practice tomorrow. We got to handle this situation this way. And if I'm being really honest with you guys, I'm not sure that I'd really prefer to do it that way, but here's why I'm going to do it. So we're going to roll with it. And I think when you're real with them like that, it just creates such alignment because they start to understand when, when coach is making decisions, he's really thinking this through. Um, we trust the direction he's going, we're going to roll with this. And now, one person's decision becomes our decision. And so I think that's where leadership and alignment comes is a lot through transparency, being honest with people, just really saying, hey, this is what we're going to roll with or getting their feedback and going, hey, guys, I hear you saying this. I kind of have this perspective on it and one role like this. What do you guys think? Um, once we can be transparent, be on the same page with stuff, I think that alignment is, is much, much easier. No doubt. I, I hear some Brene Brown vulnerability in, uh, yeah, in very stuff, much right? so. She's great. Yeah, very much oh, absolutely. so. Absolutely. So, you know, this is okay. This may be the toughest question that I ask, and it's a little bit off script, but I want to know. So, again, looking forward to how do we create alignment and how do we create? I, I love the word clarity just because I feel like most players and coaches will do what they need to do if it's clear. Mm -hmm. And I want to know because, again, type A. I, I am trying to take my foot off the gas pedal of control. I want to know how do we balance clarity with like stepping, I guess the word would be stepping on, you know, other people's toes or getting in their way of being themselves. How do, how do you balance that with, Hey, here's what's important for the direction of our program, but you can put your own spin on it here. Does that make sense yeah, at all? Yeah. hundred percent. So I, I would say, um, yeah, I got like a thousand things going on in my mind. That's a fantastic question. And again, not, not saying I have the answer to that, but the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, um, we want to create clarity around things that get outcomes. Uh, we want to start with positive outcomes. So I think about it from a pitching perspective. Um, it's like uh, a lot of our guys are doing like summer plans right now. So what I actually ask them to do is I say, create your own summer plan, send it to me. In my world, I, I don't really feel like most of our guys are going to create a plan that's perfect but that's okay. Uh, they're going to have a say, they're going to have a voice. They're going to be able to figure out, this is what I have available. This is what I feel like I can do. And that allows me a chance to sort of poke and prod and ask questions in and around that. I think it comes back to the outcomes. You get guys who go, um, I'm going to lift, I'm going to throw, I'm going to do this and that. Okay. That's great. What do you need to get better at? And sometimes you get a blank stare on that. And I think instead of making choices around, um, what I feel like I can do, we want to make choices around what gets outcomes and results. So we'll, pr we'll try to create, that's where I think data does come in uh, well. 
when you can create some clear information around, hey, look at the successful guys we've had. This is what they did well. They threw this pitch for a strike this much time. They have this many pitches they could work with. They had a swing and miss secondary. They had this and this and that. I feel like if, if, if you and I, like if me as a coach and you as a player can get aligned to saying our successful guys have done this, the process below that is where I feel like we can work together and, and like we need clarity right here. We have to know that this is what success is. The game of baseball, like the way we get those outcomes has kind of changed and evolved. The processes change, the adjustments change. We find new great ways of teaching, but you know, being what you need to be good at hasn't necessarily changed a ton. It's still relatively similar. It's still the game. And so I feel like um, when okay. we can create clarity around this, uh, saying, hey, look, you got to get barrel if you're a hitter. You, you got to swing at strikes. You got to get your pitch to hit. Um, you got to be, you know, uh, as, a, as, a, as a pitcher, like you're going to have to throw your fastball to multiple quadrants or multiple parts of the zone. You're going to have to be able to throw your secondary pitch for a strike. If you can create a swing and miss in a big situation, that's huge. If you can have a secondary pitch that you can go to when you're behind the count for a strike, that's huge. So we know this stuff. We've known that forever. Now, how do we accomplish that? That's where the discussion piece goes in mind. For some guys, it's like we need a ton of mechanical work. Uh, here's some drill options. What feels best? Talk to me about how you feel when you do that. What are you more dynamic with? Um, you want your secondary pitch. Are there drills that are better, feel better for you? I love this drill. Great run with it. Because for me, it's like if I can get a guy to tell me he really believes in this, I honestly don't know if I care that much if he does drill one or drill two while he's trying to throw a secondary pitch. Like if, if he really feels like this is going to help him, then go with it, man. Like that's great. So um, I think creating alignment around those, like this is what we need to accomplish now. Hey, I'm your coach. How can I help? How can we work together? to accomplish this. What do you think you need to do to get to that point? And Hey, you know what? I got a little experience here too. Maybe I can throw something in from that perspective. I think it's a big deal, but um, you mentioned type A personnel. That's me to a T. And I think what I've learned over time is like, um, you know, I don't want guys doing the wrong things, but I would almost rather have a convicted guy doing something that I maybe like if, if I have option a is uh, to do this. Cause I think this is right. And option B is, I'm not totally sure, but man, he believes in it. I guess I've just learned over time, option B can often be a little bit better. And I feel like I'll still find that time when failure occurs or when he's searching for something that I can poke a little bit more of this piece in as I go. But I think just being patient and allowing that guy to have have some, um, I don't know, some some ownership in that process is huge. But again, like that's where I feel like as a coach, we have to come back to, you said clarity. I mean, I love clarity. It's like, you know, I want to hear your voice. I want to understand what you're what you're thinking from as a player. But I don't really. I'm not that interested though in like you telling me you want to go this direction. Like uh, this is what we need to do. Like it's really clear. It's it's right here. It's been done for years. Like everybody who's good does this fairly well. This is what you do well. See how we have metrics and specific things behind that that says you do this really well. Okay, so we know that this is the track we want to go. So now help me solve that problem. Don't tell me. I'm a good fastball breaking ball guy. I want to work on my fourth pitch. Like when we don't have two pitches yet, we don't have three pitches yet. I'm not really that interested in the fourth pitch. I'm not interested in your fourth ball. I'm interested in this and this right here. How do we solve that problem together? No, that's great. Great, great answer. So one of the things that, that I think I, that I really want to dig in a little bit further with you, and that's uh, really building teams. So we've talked a lot about the individual piece of it, and we've talked – uh, well, we've really talked a lot about uh, both of them, really. But how do we how do we go about forming teams? Because every year you're going to have 
you know, 25, 30% turnover, uh, junior colleges that are listening half or more. And so I would love to just hear how, so how do we, how do we put the, you know, I, I, let me see exactly what you said earlier. You talked about, we want you to be your best self, but also we want our team to be the best. And sometimes those don't always align. So unpack that for us, if you don't mind. Yeah, I think um, as a coach, I think it's important to figure out your trigger points, uh, what things you're really uncomfortable with. Um, And, you know, as again, as a type A personality and somebody who probably likes to control, my trigger points were more when I was younger and less as I'm older. So um, I I do think it's important to um, I I guess I'll say this. I I don't want to be the military. I don't want to tell everybody how to do every single thing. Um, I think that takes away a lot of ownership and, and motivation within the person and the player. So um, for me over time, like my biggest trigger is just selfishness. I just, I don't, it's just not something I connect well with. Um, it's not something I want to be around. Um, I think it's okay as a coach sometimes to, to, you know, again, maybe that's inherently a little selfish on my side to go like, I just don't really want to deal with this. Right. Um, I can deal with, you know, a philosophical difference here. I can deal with this challenge here don't really care what side of the government platform you sit on. Don't really care if you, you know, believe this or that, but you know, if you're about you, that's going to be really tough to be a great team. Like if that's all you really care about, because at some point that's just going to drag others down. It's going to create challenges within the dynamic of our program. Um, We really feel like teams can be bigger than the sum of their parts. So um, for me, that was really the the, the trigger we have. That's where we built around uh, that family piece. But then in within that, as you, uh, you know, we, we have continuous improvement. So I think the individual piece and, and, and building teams comes to like, what do we specifically need to do to help you improve? But we have to continue to create a motive behind that. And that motive has to come back to the team. Um, we've heard that over and over again. I remember, um, I think it was when the Cubs finally broke through and won the World Series, Theo Epstein made a comment about that of like, you know, if, if there's one thing this year shows you, it's what, what some uh, people can accomplish when they're about something bigger than themselves. That's the end of the day, what we're trying to create within teams is guys who are willing to uh, to be as good as they possibly can be, but then still find ways to sacrifice for the good of the team. I think that's kind of what you're alluding to there. And that's tough. I think that takes a lot of transparency and honest conversations. Um, but for me, first, we have to define like what your trigger points for. For me, like my trigger points initially were probably too many things. Like I might've thought, you know, you have to do it just like this and you have to write everything down that you do and you have to be organized in this fashion and you have to do this. I still think those things are really good and I still encourage our guys to do it. But I've also found some guys that maybe operate a little bit differently. And so just trying to be a little bit more open to different sides of that scope, but at the same time, still having like bottom line stuff you really stand for. And that is, you know, we want to be selfless. We want to be about the team. We want to work very hard. Uh, We want to continue to push those directions um, and maybe not worry so much about some of the other stuff. So I think if you're building a team, if you can get guys to believe in the overall cause of what you're doing, you can get them to actually buy into the point that if, if I do this for the sake of the people around me, um, I'm going to get a better experience myself and they're going to get a better experience myself. That's what it comes back to. It, it, it feels human nature to say that if I think about myself and self-protect, then it will be best for me. But that's not actually how it works. We get much more joy in life when we see ourselves be able to dive into the lives of others and build people around us. And so I think showing examples of that, um, talking about past examples of that, uh, whenever you can find examples of videos or guys at the highest levels that they know and respect speaking into that, 
I think that's really huge. So that's how we try to build teams is build around that team concept. Oh, and I think that goes right back to what, what we've been talking about the whole time, which is human behavior is so complex just because we are both tribal and selfish at the same time. Sure. So it's what we want to belong to a community, but we want that autonomy that goes with that. And I, man, that's, that's so, so good. And, and both of those books that you mentioned, Legacy and Culture Code, uh, both are just fantastic reads for building teams. And, and they talk about that, that a ton. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have felt that and, and have seen that in your book studies as well. I, I'm assuming, but I, I, yeah, yeah, very much. So it's such a good example. And I think what I like about those books is, you know, Legacy is obviously, you know, more rugby, but culture codes, like it's not just athletics. Like there's some athletic examples in there, but right. sometimes I think you can draw the best things from maybe other disciplines too, that you can then apply to your own sport. Sure. No doubt. So let's, uh, let's get into some, uh, some of the on-field stuff. And so I, I would love to hear just, you know, what you're planning on doing this fall. So whenever they get, whenever they get to campus in August, uh, I would love to hear just kind of, and it, it doesn't have to be, we can, we can dig in on some different key points, but just how are you, how are you planning on spending this fall and, and using the time that you have? Yeah, I think thinking a little bit more macro, you know, we, we want to try to do some baseline assessments initially. So, um, you know, again, things you I've heard tons of times in your podcast before, but I think are, are worth mentioning. I mean, this is how we do it is, is we try to come in, understand how the body moves in general. We've done on base stuff before we've done physical therapy, baseline assessments before, uh, I like both of those things. Some things about them, I'm like, I'm still learning how to apply that. So I'm still learning that like like probably a lot of people are. But um, but ultimately, understanding the torso, the spine, the pelvis, the scaps, just how the middle of the body moves. We try to w- work proximally distal when it comes to movement work. So if I can understand how that works and how that might apply to that person, I think that really helps. Um, doing some video analysis stuff, we're looking into more bi- biomechanical you know, quantitative type work, but most of our stuff's been qualitative in nature at this point in time, looking and see how they move on videos, uh, really building around health and recovery with pitchers, trying to start with that foundation. We just don't feel like guys can make big gains if they can't get work in off to the side in between their outings. Um, And then for me, I think still the in-game metric stuff is huge. I mean, we've got to get them out into some inner squad scrimmage stuff, see them play one another, see how they compete, but also see how the stuff plays in an actual game. We've seen some, you know, stuff at times where you have like a metric of a specific pitch and you feel like, <clears throat> okay, that means this, and maybe it doesn't end up playing as well, or maybe there's something different about it. So I'm still really you know, learning about that stuff as much as probably anybody else is. But, um, but I feel like once we can kind of get sort of a 360 degree view, if you will, of understanding how they, how they are, are they healthy and recovered? Um, um, you know, how do they move on the mound? How do they move in general? What's their strength and athleticism baselines, how their stuff play in the games, you get a pretty good idea after that about, okay, here's what we need to work on and move forward with. And that's why I think we try to bucket guys pretty well after the fall. Um, just trying to find ways to help guys, you know, is this guy more of a guy who, who needs to work on pattern work, who needs to recover better, who needs to throw harder, who needs to um, um, do something to make a specific pitch look differently, uh, uh, work on the secondary offering, work on this command. You know, that's where I feel like we try to really create tremendous clarity and really simplify. I think, a big thing now is there's so much tremendous information out there. If I'm a player, I'd be overwhelmed. And I see that with players a lot where um, and you get a guy who's like 84 to 87 and, and, and you're like, okay, you're going to go home for the summer. Tell me what you want to look like when you come back. And he's like, I want to be 88 to 91. I want to get my fastball to both sides and be able to elevate. I want to throw my curveball for a strike, have a wipeout slider and be good with my changeup. And they're like, okay, but right now you're 84 to 87. These are your fastball at 52% strikes and you occasionally get the curveball over like, 
that's awesome and really well intentioned, but how can we like try to simplify this a bit and go, you know, I'm not sure we're going to be like a four plus pitch guy in two months. Like, can, can we create some clarity around this and go, where are we going to really put the best bang for our buck? I think that's really a huge thing within training. So we try to create that in the off season, then go all in with it. Um, <clears throat> and it can be, you know, one to two things, three's pushing it four to me is like that. That's a lot. That's going to be really tough. And then make sure we're making decisions around, uh, creating alignment to those specific objectives for that player. Um, once we get back from the off season, then obviously in season stuff, you're talking about building guys back up for the year, making sure we're not doing jumping too fast and our on ramping stuff, transitioning to more mound work. Um, you know, trying to, to make sure we're facing some hitters, get that competition piece back, get some of the other little minor pieces, controlling the running game, et cetera, all that stuff handled. But I think really just finding clarity around let's, let's evaluate what you look like in the fall. Let's see in games a bit. And let's like you and I get a hundred percent in alignment on like the one to two things, three at most that are going to make you be great by this spring. And then let's find a process to make that work. I really like that a lot. And again, that's a, that's a very, uh, very great, great summation of, of a long time period. And so I love getting to hear uh, just the the macro view of that. So whenever they do get back from campus, which you're praying that uh, nothing goes wrong over winter break, which is what every college coach says when they come on here, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I get, but uh, they come back from break and then let's go from preseason to in season, just, just mainly on the sticking points. So uh, for what have you learned that we need to do X, Y, and Z before game one? And then uh, we'll talk about it, the end season stuff right after that. Yeah. So I think um, trying to view it like maybe there's a cap. I think um, I'm not uh, barring a concept of like uh, listening to Eric Cressy speak a lot, um, barring a concept of his into that specific area, you know, everybody only has so much they can do. So you have to start to borrow parts from different areas. You can't just keep tacking on and tacking on. So for me, the transition is um, maybe we're doing more training style work uh, separate from the competitive atmosphere as we're building into when we come back into January. But once you get back to January, you're going to have to borrow some volume and repetition and intensity from that and start to tack it on into more of the competitive game atmosphere, live ABs, things of that nature. So that's why I think, clarity and simplification becomes incredibly uh, important you have to be able to go what's again what's the best bang for my buck what do i need to have right and really making sure you build around strengths too i think that's a big thing in season is um you know redefining a third pitch or you know uh, trying to make wholesale changes in season is pretty tough so for me it's like when they come back and we get to january and we see where they're at it's like, what's going to make this guy great? And how can I make sure he feels great about that as much as possible? And then we're still going to kind of kind of filter a few other things. And early to mid-January, we can still try to get some work in to make some changes. But boy, then, as you kind of brought up, once we get to end season, it's going to be really tough to, to, to adjust to that and to make big wholesale changes. So I think the main focus for ours is like, how can we make sure we're handling the body? How can we consolidate stress, work on a high-low model, make sure we're not taxing the central nervous system too much? Um, I think the biggest change or, or probably a big surprise is guys just, you know, when you go back to January, actually probably should be more clear and almost should be less for me than it should be more of the off seasons more challenging because you're so far away from a competitive game that you can, you feel like you can fit in more. But once you get to that in-season mode, it's like, this is when you're going to pitch. Uh, you know, you pitch here, you pitch there. What can we do in between? We're probably consolidating these two heavy CNS times with some really 
good recovery work in between and find that one to two days in the middle, we can really go get some work done on what didn't go so well on the back end of that stuff. Kind of try to view it like going up and down a mountain uh, from a, from a CNS activation perspective. So um, I think that's really the big part for us that we try to focus on is again, just making sure we're not constantly piling more on, but simplifying being fresh physically, mentally, while still trying to create some challenge in that training to create some, some adaptation to get better. No doubt. And I think that's the, that's the tough part for me too. Uh, when, once we get into season and even, even now it's like, okay, what's, what's the most important thing? Like mm -hmm. what's the, you know, we're transitioning from in season to where we have a decent data size of what their stats were and how they felt. And now they're getting into summer ball and into our off season period. And, and, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really trying to scale back. Okay. We can do all of these things, not well, but we can do <laughs> one of these things. Yep really well so let's let's start to tick away at that and and it's it's led to some really good conversations yeah. just because i and and i and i'm perfectly upfront and i'm like guys we can try this but if it doesn't work we need to try something yeah. else rather than uh continuing to just you know pound that but yeah it's such really a good great at. point it's such a great point it makes me think about i remember reading a story one time a long time ago where i think tom Izzo had said um like yeah we're gonna push the ball in transition we're gonna be elite at rebounding you know, we're going to do the other stuff too, but I, I want to do that really, really well. And and I do think we, as coaches, have to make – you can't be perfect at everything. You know, you just right. can't. You have to decide, based on my skill set, based on who we have in this team, how do we really dive in and go all in with this stuff? No, I, I think that's – when you get serial winners, you know, Nick Saban, uh, yeah. for example, and, and, and Belichick, uh, and, and just, you know, like uh, Tom Izzo and guys like that, they, they understand the strengths of their team and they're able to – formulate uh, a process to where that makes them the most successful. And we, you know, Saban talks about systems all the time, which I love the systems approach, but his system has also evolved. It's not mm -hmm. the same thing that he was running when he was at LSU and they were in the I formation and power football. No doubt. Uh, and, and they didn't really have, you know, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Tago or we'll just say Tua, yeah, uh, because I get tongue tied <laughs> over here. Uh, but, but, uh, but anyway, so no, it's 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 a it's a great great thing to to remember. And and you know, I I've never I've never had to see the overview of how practices should be run in season. But I do love the aspect of okay, here's what's important to us during the season, and we have X amount of energy that we have to expend a a large part of that on the competition piece. So I would love to hear just what are your best practices in season? And, and a lot of it has to do with, with feel of the team and where you're at. And, and there's just so much that goes into it. But for those that are listening, who are transitioning from assistants to head coaches who will be wanting to think about this in, in the near future, just what are some things that you learned that worked and what didn't? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. That makes me think I've had to learn to be at peace where my, my um, just kind of my mode is like, we have to push every day and get better. And I think I've had to learn to be at peace that um, it's relatively clear now, you know, and, and, you know, research, if you will, but that, hey, we're going to need some recovery periods. We're going to need times to, for guys to reset, to hit the reset button, um, and that we can't just keep pushing seven days a week. Like, they have to be able to have some time to recover, to feel good physically and mentally. So I think, um, you know, sometimes that's tough for us as coaches. It's hard for me anyway when I walk in and be like, okay, they're going to go light today. And it's like, man, like we, we got to get better at this. So, and we need to go game speed. We know we need it to be game speed and we need to have it, you know, equal or be even a little bit more than the actual competitive environment. But, you know, there's something 
to, to, to making sure some days, you know, that you're resetting just a little bit. I think that's key. And then on the days you're pushing, I think is just to get to, to, to game speed. I think context is king. Our best practices have tremendous context and are very representative of the game. Um, so I think, you know, especially from a visual perspective, um, you know, when you think about throwing bullpens, getting seen and hitters, creating more of a game-like feel when you can, um, maybe even throwing a bullpen to a guy where we're working context and going, you're working all like, like how are we going to attack a hitter when we're 1-0? Let's work a 1-0 bullpen today for these 10 pitches. Or um, having a hitter get into a situation and saying, this is what the count, this is the situation. I think the more context and specificity we can provide in season, is really good because it's like out of season again i'm not saying we, we don't do that out of season but probably more looking at the big picture stuff like working the swing working getting more consistent barrel trying to not expand the strike zone etc we're still going to touch on that in season but in season feels like you have a time to get a little bit more specific and provide more context and representative design to what you're doing so i feel like our best practices create more of that so for again from a pitching perspective that can look like um hey look we're, we're going to work counts today in this bullpen session we're going to have um five repetitions where a guy's on second, five repetitions where a guy's on first base. So we're going to keep you on the clock. We're going to have your have the radar gun on you to make sure we're still hitting our baseline measures in terms of pitch execution. We're going to create some assessment around it. Uh, we're going to have some consequence around it. Not bad consequence, just like, you know, I'm going to crush you if you if you if you mis-execute a pitch, but just something's on the line here. I think I think is important just to create some of that anxiety, stress, challenge that you feel when you're in a game. So I think our best practice is probably have some creativity around that. And then the other thing I'd say is finding a way to create some, uh, something new to, to, to the, to the stuff that you got to do. You still have baseline stuff you got to do, but can we, can we create some variation around that? Can we, uh, bounce and, and blend it from one thing to this, to that, to that, as opposed to just doing, go do your 10 reps of this, go do your 10 reps of this, go do your 10 reps of that. Are there ways to create some variation that to challenge your brain, to solve new problems as we go? I think our best practices are probably stuff that you kind of figure out with that a little bit. And then also have a little bit of player incentive of like, sometimes I'll just show up to practice and go, I know that you guys need to do this today. And you've done that a lot before. Can you take like two minutes and think about how you can create some variation or something around that so that they have some, some ownership and trying to, to be creative and find a new way to accomplish that same objective. I think some of those are some of our best practices in the season. No, it's really, really good. And uh, <laughs> with the competition piece. So this summer we are, uh, we play Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, which is uh, more spread out league games. Like the the group that I've got, it's like 13 kids. And so a lot of reps and uh, a lot of learning that's going on. <clears throat> and so last year, we didn't do a great job of dirtball reads. And so <clears throat> this summer, it was a, it's, it's a very big focus on, on taking extra bases. And so one of the kids, uh, one of the kids didn't go. And I said, all right, guys, listen, if it touches the dirt, we, and you don't go, you've got 10 pushups and besides like two guys who are just snails. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, the first time they did that, like after the game, I was like, all right, you know, tally, we got, you know, X amount of dirt ball reads. I don't know if we've been thrown out on a dirt ball read yet, just because it's, you know, amateur level, especially it's, it's tough to be able to, to block, get up, uh, pick it up, throw it out, m catch it and make a tag. That's yeah. all the money. And so, uh, but we have had some that haven't gone. And, and one of the kids goes, why 10? Like, that's not very many. And I said, it's just enough to be annoying. 100%. You know, it's just yeah. enough to annoy you. And so, uh, they're like, oh, okay, okay. So, 
some of them have racked up totals and so their chest is getting a little bit bigger which you know which is always <laughs> a good thing too but no it's I, I really like that and it's not something that hey you've got a mile if you don't throw a strike here but you've got four burpees and why four just just because it's annoying like you you don't even get better but it's yeah, just something that you have I, to do i'm a big believer in that too i couldn't agree more i just have to dive in on that because i think like Please. You, you especially see guys like it's like at first it's like no big deal whatever i got a couple burpees here i got to push up there whatever but like the sixth time they do it they're kind of like God, really like i have to do this again it's just enough to acknowledge to that guy that that's not what we're looking for and we need you to adjust we need you to make a change i feel like that's the probably the magic spot of consequences to not go you're we're just going to physically crush you which we know impacts skill development anyway or to go hey whatever no big deal if you make a a, a mistake there's just something in the middle there that i feel like we can find I, I couldn't agree more i think that's really important well cool i'm glad to hear that but i've got some quick hitters before you go and i'm just gonna you know ask you the question and get you get you out of the way okay obviously you're a very intentional learner and so I would love to hear something that you're learning that you've either learned lately or you're digging into that, that you're really excited to, to dig more into. Yeah, I think um, so. I've, I've kind of been on that motivation kick for a while and, and learning more about, um, I guess, human behavior in that context. Now I've, I've been learning more about the cognitive biases and how that impacts us. Um, looking into some of like Kahneman's work and stuff like that. I just got thinking fast and slow, some of that nature stuff. So um I feel like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, I don't know if that's smart of me to do that or not. I'll, it'll, I'll be pretty messed up probably for a couple of weeks this summer and have to call my buddies and have them get, you know, chop me back down off the ledge here. But, but no, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about that because I think it, it really connects into self-awareness and it connects into the decision-making that we have. And it helps me better understand like how we as coaches obviously can oversee our players and program that way, but also how players can make better decisions themselves. So, that's something I'm really feeling passionate about right now is just trying to better understand, um, again, how, how bias and things of that nature impact like human behavior, motivation, stuff like that. Oh, that's wonderful. What is something that you have changed your mind about lately or maybe the latest thing you've changed your mind, mind about and why? Yeah, I think um, I'm actually going to borrow something you mentioned before just because I think it's worth repeating, and that is um, – this idea of process, I think we all understand that process is important. Everybody knows that. But um, I think the best processes uh, evolve over time. Probably when I first got into coaching, I felt like if I can just find a system and get this right, then I'm going to put that system in and it's going to roll. Now I've basically given up on that. You know, uh, times change, things change. You mentioned like Nick Saban. I think uh, he's so unbelievably disciplined that I think it's easy to look at guys like him and go, you just need to have your set system and go implement it. But the magic is the guy just constantly evolves. He's always staying ahead of the game or being able to adjust and adapt to, to the new challenges that are faced. Um, and so I think that's where the magic is. So I think, you know, I, I hope that creates some, I guess, a little bit of uh, space for some grace as a coach where you don't have to beat yourself up so much and know like, I just don't know enough about this. I don't think it's so much about being smarter than everybody else. I think it's about just being being able to constantly evolve and find new ways to to, to get better and just keep moving the needle forward. I think that's a phrase we've I've talked a lot about with some coaching buddies of mine. Is are we just are we moving the needle? Then if we are, just keep going, keep doing that. And if not, we gotta find some ways to keep getting better on that. No, that's a great point. I love that one. Next question is: What is a drill that your players love or drills? 
love drills. What's a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? Yeah. So I think, um, I, I would, have, when I first started coaching, I'd have like all these, all these drills. And now I, I feel like, um, I'll probably go for this question more down the scope of trying to find ways to create variation to what you do. I kind of mentioned before, I think it's really important. Um, so not feeling like there's a drill, but, but finding a variation of drills. The other thing I would say is to, um, I've heard some other coaches talk about, you know, the environments they set up. So I, I feel, I feel myself, the older I get more connected to creating an environment, um, creating context around what you do. I remember one time, like two years ago, um, this isn't a drill so much, but hopefully something that helps. But, um, I just felt some of our bullpens were really getting stagnant. I felt like guys would come in, um, there were too much in their head. We weren't in enough competition mode. Um, and, and I also feel like, you know, I love when I see our guys come in and connect at practice and they're talking and enjoying each other. But, you know, there's also that point too, where you kind of kind of flip the switch a little bit and you need to get focused and go to work on what you're doing. I didn't feel that was happening much. So, um, so we set up a bullpen session session, which this is so Midwest dumb, simple, which like where we just did a bullpen and we, and I, and I sent it to the guys, I said, we're going to, if you make the pitch, you get plus one. If you don't make the pitch, you get minus one. We're going to have a radar gun on you to make sure that you're still working and operating at your best stuff. I'm going to create some context around it. I'm going to create variations. So sometimes you're going to be nobody on base. Sometimes I'm first, sometimes I got in second and have to at least be the plate in this much time. Um, and like, it was so funny. And I said, like, whoever wins gets this. Um, mm -hmm. and our guys came to practice, man. They're like, like they were zoned in. I mean, it was like headphones in, not talking to anybody. I'm oh, going to beat yeah. your butt on this. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so simple. Sometimes like just mm -hmm. create some environments around that. Um, and the other, like the best thing for me about that, that I learned more was like, we had guys flop. I mean, they failed because I purposely tried to do 15 to 20 pitch bullpen. So the sample size was so small that if you get off on mm -hmm. a bad track, you may not be able to win. Um, Good. and, and like, you'd saw guys like, oh my God, I'm struggling. And like, they, they flopped and it's like, but that's good. We want to do that now. And not when the game starts, but, and, and again, we also tried to go like, uh, let's see whoever the best score is wins. And then, you know, for every pitch or for every rep that, that you're below that you have X amount of consequence behind that. So every pitch that's still right. had value. Right. So even if I couldn't win, my last two pitches really mattered. So I think just trying to find um, ways to create good, uh, I guess, good, a good system of competition, but surrounding that with like, you know, a uh, good context to the situation where guys just to get to compete, man, I think more over time, I think that's better than some magic drill or potion or something like that. No doubt. I, I you know, I think that competition is, is that magic potion, you know, it's, yeah. it's saying kids don't love to compete is just that's that's not true they just <laughs> want to compete and what's important that this they think is going to make them better for sure so finally the last the last question and i'd love to hear uh, there's a couple of books that you've mentioned legacy culture code thinking fast and slow and then you mentioned susan fowler i'm not familiar with susan but i would love to hear your favorite book from her yeah. but is there any other resources besides those that you have loved that have made you a better coach yeah um so I, I, I will acknowledge that I, I really like to read. So I, I, you know, again, this is such a great question because as anybody would say one book, it's never one book, right? There's always a, a variety of books, but um, yeah, Susan Fowler wrote, she's done a lot of research about motivation. Um, she wrote, uh, I think it's called like a, uh, why motivating people doesn't work and what does um, is, is a good book. She has like a, I think a 2.0 version of that. And she just came out with another book too. Um, 
if she hears this, she's going to really give me a hard time for not remember what the title of the book is, but, but, uh, um, but yeah, just if you, if you Google her, just put Susan Fowler author, Susan Fowler books, you'll find stuff on that, which I think is really good. And what, what I appreciate about her work is it's very simplistic. Um, not in terms of saying, uh, it's like, uh, not in depth. She's got tremendous depth, but she has a really unique skill set to be able to apply it in a simplistic way, which I appreciate. Um, I like Duhigg stuff, like Charles Duhigg. So uh, Smarter, Faster, Better is a book I really enjoy just because, um, again, going back to what we mentioned before, sometimes really good stuff comes from stuff that isn't in the athletics realm and just kind of makes you be a little bit creative in your thinking. So he's got stuff in there about motivation, but he got stuff in there about all kinds of different things that I find really intriguing and interesting. So um, his stuff has been really important, uh, kind of interesting to me too, I guess. I'd, I'd maybe jump on those too. Well, I love that. Well, Ryan, I, I want to be the first to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And man, I, I learned a ton today. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, I think uh, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for having me on and for doing what you're doing for for our coaching community and for our players. I, I mentioned you before. One of the neatest things is when you can have an impact in, into somebody and they don't even know it. And I think you're doing that. So I, I just commend you for that. Um, the other thing as I, I said is in the coaching community, um, I just say, don't be afraid to reach out to people, you know, like, um, my emails listed online. You can probably find me on Twitter, whatever. Um, you know, I, I love to talk to coaches and, and, and try to keep learning. Um, I remember, I think it was like my second year, I'm working at, you know, Vista university, a small school in Storm Lake, Iowa, um, you know, that probably nobody's ever heard of. And I sent an email to Derek Johnson, who was a pitching coach at Vanderbilt at the time is now at the Reds. And he replied right back and, Set, uh, I asked him, honestly, it was a dumb question in hindsight. It really wasn't that great. But uh, he's like, yeah, no problem. Shoot me, a, uh, shoot me a phone call and I'll be happy to talk. And it's like, man, if a guy like that, you know, could take time for just a little guy like me who doesn't mean anything. And I, I you know, finally met the guy in person two years later. He remembered exactly who I would, knew how our season went. And so I just think it says so much about the coaching community when, when you have people like that. So I think don't be afraid to reach out to people. It's a no-risk situation. If they don't respond, you, you don't lose anything. If they do respond, you have a chance to connect and continue to grow and learn. So I hope I can be that to people at times, even though I don't have, you know, all the answers with this. So don't be afraid to reach out to one another and just keep learning and growing from there. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.